This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with us is your other host, Puka. Greetings. What are we talking about today, Puka? Well, by popular demand, or maybe it wasn't very popular demand, it was just a demand that somebody made. It might have been me. Anyway, we're talking about... you. (laughs) Probably. Well, we're talking about books, and in particular, books that are inspirational for changeling games and players and storytellers. So this is primarily a list of our own beloved books, but with a couple suggestions from our listeners that we'll be talking about. Okay, so yeah, we're going through... uh, Would you like to start us off? I shall. I'm going to go alphabetically by the name of the author for my particular picks. And I'm I essentially am not. <laughs> that's fine. Not. So I'll read the blurb that's on the back cover of the edition that I have, and then explain why I love this book and why I think it's good for changeling. So the first one is War for the Oaks by Emma Bull, which I believe came out in 1987, something like that. And the blurb is Eddie McCandry sings rock and roll, but her boyfriend just dumped her, her band just broke up, and life could hardly be worse. Then, walking home through downtown Minneapolis on a dark night, she finds herself drafted into an invisible war between the fairy folk. Now, more than her own survival is at risk, and her own preferences, musical and personal, are very much beside the point. By turns tough and lyrical, fabulous and down-to-earth, War for the Oaks is a fantasy novel that's as much about this world as about the other one. It's about real love and loyalty, about real music and musicians, about false glamour and true art. It will change the way you hear and see your own daily life. All 100% true. I love this book. I first read it as a teenager. I think I had already been playing Changeling by that point. Uh, But I remember I have a very keen memory of reading it on a family vacation in the mountains of Massachusetts. And it's very much a down-to-earth urban fantasy, late 80s kind of vibe. They talk about Prince a lot because they're musicians in Minneapolis. Boiled in Lead is like a cameo in there. But it's very much from a dreamer's perspective. So Eddie McCandry is this musician, and she gets tapped by the Sealy Court, essentially, of Minneapolis to kind of be their proxy human in their fight. Because in the rules of the novel universe, Faye can only harm each other when there's a mortal present. Something about their presence, I guess in changeling terms, brings the autumn in and makes it possible for them to injure each other. And it's kind of these pitched battles between the courts. So she gets drawn into this and kind of doesn't really want to be involved, but then the Unsealy are going to try to, like, assassinate her, so she has to be protected. And her protector, of course, is a character named Puka. So I appreciate that. Spelled differently, though. But it's very... It's fun. It's witty. It's... It's gritty, which I like. I want Changeling Games and World of Darkness games to be gritty. It's well-paced. It keeps moving, and you keep turning pages. The description is beautiful. And it's just one of my favorite novels. I really would recommend it to anybody, not just Changeling fans. So, you know. 
That's my spiel. Excellent. My first pick is a book series. Maybe the first one might be the most changeling inspiration, but they're all all 15 books in the series. I thought there was 16, but I'll have to pre-order one. It's coming out in September. Uh, it's the October Day series by Shannon McGuire. Uh, first book is Rosemary and Rue. I found out about this book when there's a... I got became very disenchanted with a uh, author of a book about a modern-day wizard, and I was asking for other series, and somebody recommended this one. It's about a... Well, started out being about a changeling private detective in San Francisco. She's more human than Faye, gets into trouble. I don't really want to spoil things too much because there's a lot of reveals. It's But it's very much a... Uh, it's like the hard-boiled detective, and she's getting like hit in the head a lot and things like that. But there's a reason that she doesn't get long-term brain damage from that. And yeah, ends up having all sorts of horrible things happen to her, but also learns lots of things. And uh, it's a really fun ride. I like Shannon Regard. Shannon Regard is another series, too, that's good. But uh, this is the very much the Changeling one, the October Day series. And it's, yeah, set in San Francisco and... After we did the, when I was reading through the toy box, I'm like, oh, uh, she must have read the toy box as well. So you could take this as chronicle ideas for your San Francisco game is a lot of these books, including the local fairy nobility living in the same, having their, what they're called nose in this book, but they're, or in this series, but they're basically freeholds. And it's, uh, yeah, I, I really like really like the book the other the other series that i really like of hers is the encrypteds but that's more of a major in hunter's innocence book if you had to pick a world of darkness connection but yeah so October day series very good i haven't read it but from my limited sort of browsing online it definitely seems like well suited for an ongoing chronicle because there are so many yeah. well there's so many novels and i assume each one is kind of an individual story and her adventures that yeah. could kind of yeah she, she's branching out to, to other characters in the world i think because in game terms this character has way too much xp by book 15 but that happens uh, yeah so what's your uh, next book Fuka? so the next one is little big by john crowley and the blurb is john crowley's masterful little big is the epic story of smoky barnable an anonymous young man who travels by foot from the city, capital C, to a place called Edgewood, not found on any map, to marry daily Alice Drinkwater, as was prophesied. It is the story of four generations of a singular family, living in a house that is many houses on the magical border of an other world. It is a story of fantastic love and heartrending loss, of impossible things and unshakable destinies, and of the great tale, capital T, that envelops us all. It is a wonder. So this book, I don't know if you've read, have you read uh, 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez? No, I have not. All right. It's kind of like that, but with Kinane. It is very much a Kinane book. So you know you're getting into something serious when you get the table of contents. It is a very long book, just also. <laughs> well, not too long. It's like 500 pages, but... But after the table of contents, you get a family tree of characters who you'll have to keep track of through the narrative. It's very helpful to have this. So I'd like to also read the opening two sentences as well, because I think they give some context, if that's all right. That's totally fine. So it's, on a certain day in June 19, 
blank, a young man was making his way on foot northward from the great city to a town or place called Edgewood that he had been told of but had never visited. His name was Smoky Barnable, and he was going to Edgewood to get married. The fact that he walked and didn't ride was one of the conditions placed on his coming there at all. And that kind of sets the tone for throughout the book, there are sort of peculiar rules and traditions and circumstances and mysterious things that happen to and around this family. And it becomes clear over the course of learning more about their history and flashbacks and past narratives and dreams that they are in some way fae touched. There has been some kind of intermarriage and mingling of fae blood and human blood that has affected each of them in different ways. And that really is explored very thoroughly, kind of the idea of what would that do to a family. So if you had any desire to kind of explore Kinane in a changeling game in a deep way, this is absolutely the book to do it. Because it's very much a family epic, like any any novel of that sort, you know, it gets really deep into the relationships between the siblings and the parents and children and the grandparents and children. And then the family as a whole is kind of removed from society in different ways and how that affects them. They have this one distant cousin who's also a really good example of either a sorcerer or a low arete mage. So that's kind of a nice touch. There's also some stuff about the dichotomy between I guess you could call it the banality of the city and the glamour of the wilderness and how either one can be highly dangerous to mortals. So the Fae are minimally present. They're very uncanny. It's unclear whether they're actually Fae or something else, but they're kind of on the fringes and you don't get a direct look at them, which I also really like. So I actually read this book for a class in college, which I'm very happy about. (laughs) Like the fact that this was a signed reading was pretty awesome. And I believe also, so this book, it won the World Fantasy Award, but also sort of famously Harold Bloom, love him or hate him, probably the latter for most people. He included it in his canon of Western literature. And I think it was like the only fantasy novel because it's almost a fantasy novel in name only. Just there's that veneer of fairiness. And aside from that, it's this epic like you'd get from I don't know, John Steinbeck or something. So, or William Faulkner maybe is a better comparison. That sort of uncanny gothic element. But beautifully, beautifully written, really well-developed characters. You really get a sense of them as people. And it's just very, very changeling to me. And then what's the next one for you? So this next one, actually, I'd say the main character is also very kinane. It's Someone Comes to Town, Someone Leaves Town by Cory Doctorow. Uh, this is the first book of his I ever read, and it's very different from a lot of his other books, but he started to turn more into a science fiction author. But you know, I'll give you the plot summary here. Uh, Alan is a middle-aged entrepreneur in contemporary Toronto who has devoted himself to fixing up a house in a bohemian neighborhood. This naturally brings him to contact with a house full of students and layabouts next door, including a young woman who, in a moment of stress, reveals to him that she has wings, wings, moreover, that grow back after each attempt to cut them off. Alan understands. He himself has a secret or two. His father is a mountain. His mother is a washing machine. And among his brothers are a set of Russian nesting dolls. Nice. So this is a... Yeah, this is set in Toronto, somewhere between urban fantasy and sort of magical realism. I don't know. It's like the two met. 
a lot of the plots about him trying to set up this mesh network internet for everyone to have free internet basically and, and community activism focused but there's also yeah dealing with his family that's makes no sense for him it's like he's a it's like he's in an anime kinane <laughs> but yeah like in in, in alan himself is it's like he's a kinane with none of those powers just able to interact with the really weird world and if not a normal person but like I've definitely met, you could meet people like him. He's, he's, he doesn't, there's no powers, there's no whatever, but he's able to, he's like navigating this very messed up supernatural world and he's very experienced at it, even if he's not liking it. And it's just, uh, you know, it's interesting things about like, yeah, that sort of dealing with the mortal world and trying to accomplish things there versus a very strange and demanding supernatural world and, so it's a yeah another another Kinane book, but this one's much more. What it's like to be a Kinane when the dreaming Fey world family won't leave you alone. The washing machine is a wonderful touch. Yeah, and you get to meet you know you get to meet his mom. Stuff. His father doesn't talk much. Mm. Mostly his brothers. Mrs. Washing Machine. Yeah, she's just a washing machine. Like it's apparently he popped out of it. I think. That's wonderful. I wonder which phylum that would be. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we need, or is it that other, um, what are they called in C20? Lycian? Yeah. It's I don't like know. That would, that would have to be a pretty puissant washing machine. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not a, it's not a mannequin. It's not no. a, oh, now we need to figure out, we need a new type of thing in Changeling that could be a washing machine. Well, there is. So, so in Japanese folklore, there's the, the yokai. And mm -hmm. I wish they were more represented because you do get like inanimate object spirit beings, you know, I don't know that they would quite be the same as like Kimura, but yeah, well, this, this washing machine only does things that wa his mother only does things that washing machines could do for the most part. I think also most of the yokai are hostile. So a washing machine that tries to kill you would be more in line with yokai. I've always read yokai as very fairy like. A lot of fairies also try to kill you more so than they would maybe in Changeling, but yeah, or at least mess with you. Well, there's the, the particular class of, if I if I remember correctly, the particular class of the inanimate object ones are sort of like inanimate objects that you've wronged, so prop or possessions that you don't treat properly. Yeah, I don't so that's remember if they explain why she's in the cave of his father presumably after they got married they he doesn't fill in the details because you don't need to right but right yeah the nesting dolls are the most changeling like these two are not yeah his parents are not changelings i'd say at all cool but yeah it's also it also talks about actually the whole story is also a fight against banality in a sense but... i feel like most urban fantasy stories are to some extent Fights against yep. banality stories, but yeah. So next up for me. Oh yeah, sorry, I was gonna ask you, what's your next one? <laughs> so all right, so the next one, this is from an author who has numerous books that we could have selected and maybe we'll select another one again in a future installment, uh, which is Charles Delint, who consistently writes 
sort of fey inflected again cross between urban fantasy magic realism stuff well more urban fantasy i suppose but the one that i'm going with just because i think it's the one i'm remembering most clearly at the moment is the wild wood and so the description is Enya is a young painter who is acclaimed by the art world until the critics start noticing that her work has lost the animating passion that had set her apart from the crowd. She returns to her cabin in Canada's remote woods, hoping to find a place where she can seek solitude and focus on her art. At first, Enya's muse remains elusive, but then beautiful and disturbing creatures start slipping into her sketches unbidden. The following days bring strange visitors bearing cryptic messages, indicating that Enya may be bound by a promise made in a forgotten magical childhood. The world of fairy is clearly reaching out to her for help, and her ability to figure out what they need may mark the difference between their survival and their doom. So it's another, very similar to War for the Oaks, in that it's this dreamer artist who kind of gets contacted by the fae in order to help them out with something. Uh, but it's a lot more, it's much shorter, first of all, and it's much more individual because it's really just that character and then this one mysterious figure she meets who might or may not be fae, and then sort of the spirits of the forest as this amorphous population around her. But yeah, it's very much... It's a lot more placid. There's lots of scenes just kind of sitting in the forest, very meditative, with this growing sense of the surreal and the supernatural. This would be, I would say, a good point of reference for like, well, certainly a good point of reference for representing an enchanted human, but then also if a human found themselves slipping into the dreaming, this would be a good way to explore that. You know, just as she gets deeper and deeper into it she finds herself kind of dreams are dislodging memories are dislodging and she's getting more and more confused but kind of beguiled by her surroundings so it's a it's a quick read it has an ending that's a little bit mm, i i wouldn't say i don't want to spoil it it has an ending that's a little bit out of left field i guess i'll say that <laughs> I'll say the way that she ends up helping the fairies is not exactly what you might expect, but it's, you know, it's very well written. And importantly, I think the reason why I'm also gravitating towards this one is that in the original edition, it was released as part of a series in tandem with the artwork of Brian Froud, who is, you know, very inspirational for Changeling stuff as well, having done The Dark Crystal, having done Labyrinth having done his fairy books, etc. So each chapter, if I'm remembering correctly, was kind of written in response to a particular painting of fairies. And the chapters are kind of named in relation to the different things they represent. So like there's one called The Hollow Woman, and that's based on one of the paintings. Or uh, let me see, there's another one called Dry Wash, which I believe is a painting technique. I'm not sure. Yeah, so there are connections with things like Japanese culture and Zen, and then French folklore. It's kind of draws on a lot of mythic threads because Delint does that a lot. He likes to do very cross-cultural, mythic, street-level, at times, urban fantasy storytelling that deals with everyday people, usually artists. And yeah, he's a great writer, so. Yeah, I haven't read 
this book in particular, but I have read several of his other books. And yes, I can <laughs> basically highly recommend anything he's written, even if I haven't read it. <laughs> yeah. And you know it's going to fit. And he is a workhorse. He just keeps he keeps pumping them out. Yeah. So. And he, he actually, I believe he still lives in my city of Ottawa. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I did see him play once at a local Irish pub. He, he was, used, I don't know if I don't, definitely would have stopped during the pandemic, but I don't know how long he was, but him and his wife were playing, would play like Celtic music at the local Irish pub for once a month yeah. for a while. So I've seen them play there. There's this little circle of authors. So Charles Delent, Emma Bull, it's like this little, oh, they have a name. Maybe it's the, the Endicott Studio is what my brain is telling me, but I'm not sure if that's right. But it's it's one of those little groups of authors who are all kind of, you know, know each other and write blurbs for each other's books and stuff. And a lot of their work is kind of in that vein. And mm-hmm. I, I imagine they kind of inspire each other's characters and plot lines and stuff. So and I'm wondering if Tanya Huff's connected to that. Potentially. Yeah. The Lint is also well known for doing a bunch of stories and novels set in the city of Newford, which is, it's, it's a vaguely North American city that kind of is a stand in for, I guess maybe Ottawa or Toronto. Well, probably Toronto because it's supposed to be pretty low. It always came across as New England for me. I always pictured anything set in New England. He, he did write a book set in Toronto that I've read. Mm. Yeah, and not all of his books are in Newford, but it's a setting where a lot of the characters keep popping up and their narratives cross and connect, which is a nice, a nice way to kind of look at, you know, collaborative storytelling. But yeah, New- Newford seemed smaller town to me oh i thought it was supposed to be like a million people <laughs> oh okay i maybe i'm thinking of something else anyway we shall investigate for the next installment of book inspirations anyway yes. next up yeah next up we have harun in the sea of stories by salman rushdie so it this is a book where because of the author it gets categorized not just because the author this gets categorized as magical realism rather than urban fantasy. You have uh, the main character, Haroon, uh, lives with his father. Um, and you're in this sort of very densely packed city, which is like what Changeling does sometimes reminds me of this is the glamorous depiction of banality. That's how I describe it. And he ends up going on what could only be described as a dreaming quest to basically save where he lit, save his city. And, and make everything better for everybody. It's like his family's the one family that's not all brought down essentially by the banality. And yeah, going on this, it's definitely not set in Concordia <laughs> in changeling terms, but, and it's very where it would be set is another question, but it's uh, yeah. sort of this adventure through the dreaming gets very, or adventure through this other world. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a hugely inspiring changeling thing, but a different tone than a lot of the other books we'd be reading. Like we re- we're listing for this and I highly, highly recommend it. I actually still have yet to read it. I just, I've read bits of it and I know, I mean, I, I've read some of his other work that I adore. Midnight's Children is one of my favorites, but it's on my list. The ever expanding list of things to read. Yeah. Drawing upon other books that we'd like classic books we that would also fit with this. And yeah. I don't know how else to say. It's it's probably the most capital L literature book on our list, but it, it, it's amazing for this. Amazing in general. Um, so what's what's next? 
So another case of an author for whom we could have picked any of several books is Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman. And the blurb here is, Under the streets of London, there's a place most people could never even dream of. A city of monsters and saints, murderers and angels, knights in armor, and pale girls in black velvet. This is the city of the people who have fallen between the cracks. Richard Mayhew, a young businessman, is going to find out more than enough about this other London. A single act of kindness catapults him out of his workday existence and into a world that is at once eerily familiar and utterly bizarre, and a strange destiny awaits him down here, beneath his native city, Neverwhere. There's also a blurb from USA Today where they describe it as the chimerical stuff of nightmare and daydream, which is pretty changeling. So, yep. A lot of these novels, because they're from... Even the ones that deal with fairies directly or, or fae beings of some kind or beings that could be read as such, they are from the perspective of the human because that's just how the genre operates. So really, I think it's good to emphasize the aspect of changeling where, where, where changelings are human to some extent, and a lot of what they encounter in their adventures will be discoveries, will be things that are unfamiliar and strange and disconcerting and mysterious and wondrous, even though they themselves are fae. So I think if you read these books through that lens, they become even more useful for getting into that mindset. So this is very much a fish-out-of-water story in that Richard Mayhew, I believe, bumps into and briefly rescues I guess you could say fae princess who's fleeing from assassins and her name is door and she can open anything and just you know think about the possibilities of that for a moment they end up running around london and kind of seeing different landmarks through well for richard new eyes and i guess fae eyes and it's just i think it's kind of just a love letter to london through the lens of neil gaiman who tends to make things vaguely creepy and uncanny so uh, of all the urban fantasy we're doing here i'd say it's the most urban yeah like yeah, yeah. it's hard to get more urban than london and it, it reminds me of like toronto was some parts of toronto or whatever like the city and uh, new york has a huge mythology around this kind of thing too right i yeah. think just the the underground city and the city that no one really sees but is beneath the city and mm-hmm. Large portions of this novel take place in the sewers. Yeah, like this could also work for a lot of other World of Darkness games, but I think it does fit Changeling the best out of them. But, yeah, it has that sort of bombastic rump feel to it. Yeah. And there's other, I mean, it was a tough call between really this one, Stardust, and Ocean at the End of the Lane, each of which I would say is particularly Changeling, but in a different way. It kind of each of those kind of touches on different aspects of what Changeling the Dreaming summons up when I think about it. Yeah, and I I, I don't know if uh, it fits our definition of book or not for the genre, but like his entire Sandman series. I mean, you yes, have a character well, named Dream of the Dream World. Like it's... <laughs> well, and there are fake... I mean, Titania's in it, you know. Yeah, like it's very... But we'll yeah. save that for the graphic novels episode, which will happen because I've got thoughts on that as well. Excellent. So yes, I picked uh, Hogfather by Terry Pratchett, another prolific author who wrote stories in common with, like, we could have done Good Omens, eh, to some degree for Changeling, but uh, yeah, Hogfather of the Terry Pratchett ones, maybe that's the best one fitting Changeling, uh, part of his Discworld series, and it's 
essentially about the plot to kill not Santa Claus in this fantasy world of the Discworld. And it's uh, put in place by essentially the incarnations of banality to kill him. It's talking a lot about belief and the importance of myth and the importance of not just looking at cold rationality, but looking at, uh, you know, believing in the lies because the lies are true, but not in like a cheesy clap your hands way. Yeah. And going about the, the origins of myth, like it could, as things to say about in changeling terms about like, who were these various, these kith, the kithane, who were these kiths beforehand? That's another thing it could really get into. I think it could be a decent starting point if you haven't read the Discworld books before. Um, that's a series I wouldn't read in. I wouldn't necessarily suggest needs to be read in because uh, he took a few books to get on his feet properly for the series. But I think this is pretty approachable for a first time thing. And there's been like a BBC sort of movie-ish version that was actually pretty good, I thought. Right on. So yeah, let's, what do you have next? Well, I was going to say, I I have read the first few Disc, Discworld novels. I almost said Discord novels. Join our Discord. And and yeah, I mean, it's, it's so, so like sacrilegious to say, but I almost didn't see what all the fuss was about. <laughs> no, that's not sacrilegious to say. That's what it is saying. If you're a Discord fan and saying you really liked the first Discord novel, it's like Discworld. saying, Discworld. oh, I really liked playing first edition Magic, Changing the Dreaming from the core book. Mm. Like, well, I didn't, I didn't hate that. I mean, like there's still, he's one of those authors where just the jokes just keep coming and they just don't yeah. stop. And you, given how many novels he wrote, it's like he was a bottomless source of puns and satire and wit. And that comes yeah. through still in the first few novels. But from what I'm told, the later ones are where he really hits his stride. So, oh, oh yeah, he's yeah. it. The joke density goes down, but only because he's filling it with other things that are mm, okay. even that are better than jokes. If that makes sense, like it is. Yeah, 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 for sure. It it becomes very much satire in the good in the best sense of it, and like reflecting of culture and philosophy and ethics discussions. Very serious, well thought out ideas but still in a bizarre comical world if that makes sense yeah so yeah if you haven't read hogfather and you've only read first few discord i think it's good to be on the reading list discworld for, uh, discworld. discworld did i say discord as well? it's hard to we live in the era of discord which yeah. is probably better than living in the era of discworld or the actual discworld itself but yeah, thinking about it also discord's a terrible name for actually talking to each other and wanting the discussions to go well isn't it i think that's the joke isn't it but, yeah. yeah so my next one is by joanne m harris who's probably best known for chocolat which i like to point to as a as an example of magic realism that doesn't get you know nearly enough attention i mean the film is popular but like but she's also a writer people so uh and this is the one i read most recently i actually read this a few months ago this is honeycomb and i, I really like well, I'll read the I'll read the jacket description. Full of dreams and nightmares, Honeycomb is an entrancing mosaic novel of original interconnected fairy tales from best-selling author Joanna M. Harris and legendary artist Charles Vess in a collaboration that's been years in the making. So there are illustrations from Charles Vess, who's also very fairy literature inflected 
very popular with fantasy authors, fairy fantasy authors, and they, they kind of pop up throughout the book. So, the toy maker who wants to create the perfect wife, the princess whose heart is won by words, not actions, the tiny dog whose confidence far outweighs his size, and the sinister lacewing king who rules over the silken folk. Dark, gripping, and brilliantly imaginative, these interwoven magical stories of a war between kingdoms will soon have you in their thrall. I'd also, if we have time, I'd actually like to read the first one, because they're very short. There's a hundred of these little tales in total, and each one is like two to three pages. So they're, they're quite short, but I think it'll give a good sense of the tone of the book. So the first one is called Nectar. When the nine worlds were still very young, there were no stories. There was only Dream, the river that runs through all the worlds, reflecting the hearts and desires of the folk on its journey towards pandemonium. But by the side of that river there grew a flower with no name. It grew only there, on the shore of Dream, between the dusty plains of death and the dark cliffs of damnation. Its petals were pale as young love, its leaves were like the starry sky, its roots were drenched with the dreams of the folk, and its scent was like honey and heartbreak. But no one saw the dream flower, or caught its scent on the rapturous air. No living creature had ever seen the color of its petals, or touched even one of its shining leaves, until one day a swarm of bees found its way into world below. They settled on the flower and fed, took nectar from its scented heart, and when at last they returned to their hive, they made honey from the nectar, and fed it to their young queen as she grew in her cradle of honeycomb. The honey was dark and scented and sweet. The queen and her golden citadel fed well on the nectar of dreams, and she grew in wisdom and beauty until at last she became the honeycomb queen, the very first of the silken folk whom some call the fairy, and some the first, and some the keepers of stories. Through this cross-pollination, the queen was born into the aspect of the people from whose dreams she had sprung. She could pass between their worlds. She could see into their hearts. She could use what she saw to spin glamours of the most marvellous kind, glamours that built worlds in the air, that opened every secret door, every chamber of the heart. And these were the very first stories. But from across the river dream, the Halloween queen, half-woman, half-corpse, ruler of the kingdom of death, was watching the honeycomb queen from afar. From her dead eye she could see into the darkest dreams of the folk, from her living eye she could see everything in the nine worlds. The touch of her living hand was a gift that no man had ever known, the touch of her withered hand brought death. Her kingdom was desert on every side, nothing grew, nothing changed, and the only stories she ever heard were those that ended in death for everyone concerned. And as time passed, she grew jealous of the honeycomb queen and her stories, and she began to make plans to steal the lovely dream flower for herself. And so she crossed the river one night and went in search of the dream flower. For a time she stood watching it, breathing in its rapturous scent. Nothing was scented in her realm, nothing was soft or beautiful. A terrible loneliness welled up in her heart, and a single tear trickled down the living side of her ruined face. She stretched out a hand to pick the bloom, but in her haste the queen forgot to use her living hand and touched the beautiful dream flower with her dead and withered fingers. At once the dream flower wilted and died. Its like has never been seen again. But its nectar remained with the honeycomb queen and with the good industrious bees passing from flower to flower, taking pollen back to the hive and telling their tales wherever they went, for they too had fed from the nectar and they were part of the river now, the river that runs through nine worlds, taking with it the dreams of the folk and spinning them into stories. Some of those tales have stings attached, but then, of course, that's bees for you. Repeat 99 more times. Yeah, that. 
yeah, I haven't read this one either. But yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's on this list. <laughs> that makes yeah. perfect. So it's it's kind of like there's that mixed with these almost little fables that are like grim fairy tales or you know Aesop's fables or whatever, where it's like the dog who wanted to be confident, you know, those sorts of things. And then there are stories of humans touched by the fae. But what I like about this is it's kind of like there'll be this, this is the story of the girl who, who wanted to, you know, run away with the fairy prince. And then like 20 tales later, she pops up and she's this ruined old woman who's bitter about, you know, never having the fae prince having abandoned her and all this stuff. So the characters keep kind of popping up and you see the consequences like way down the line, you know, because obviously the fae characters are immortal. And there's this whole, she kind of creates her own mythos around it. So they're all kind of insectoid and have insect powers and the nine worlds aspect is a thing. It's also sort of vaguely set in time because there will be these very high fantasy, far distant past kind of atmospheric things. And then there's like a train. So it kind of meshes different settings into its, into its narrative. But it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. I bought it. I was with a friend in the bookstore and I saw it and picked it up. And she said, you're buying that. And I said, yeah, just immediately without even, I really did judge the book by its cover. So, <laughs> and it was entirely worth it. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that sounds like it worked out definitely. Yeah. After that, we have. So this one, uh, don't know if it, for a little discussion on, uh, Sandman, I'm not sure if this counts by the genre, but I don't care. Uh, it's the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip series. We'll count which, it. Yeah. This was a listener's suggestion, so we'll count it. Yes. And I think it definitely fits, needs to be discussed in some episode about Changeling. Yeah. Because it is, there's nothing about fairies exactly. It is about, if you're not familiar with it, it's about a six-year-old, very imaginative boy named Calvin and his chimerical companion tiger named Hobbes and their adventures and trouble he gets into. He keeps going through life by like picturing adult figures. He doesn't like as horrible aliens or monsters or various other opponents to fight against. He has, you know, plays with like a cardboard box as a time machine or spaceship or transmogrifier yeah transmogrifier just calvin is a knocker i mean i think we can agree <laughs> is a knocker. yeah or just a really inspired dreamer like it's yeah. i think he's the art like his, his kind of things the argument for maybe dreamers should have more access to the chimerical world in my opinion mm -hmm. but uh yeah it's interesting so you could almost think of him as like knocker kinane because this is deep cut his dad in the comic is a patent attorney, which strikes me as like something a knocker would be once they become undone. Yeah. Or he's, yeah, his dad went through the forget. His dad's not banal, but his dad's definitely, uh, no longer a changeling, so. but you can tell it's almost like the mists part sometimes for him. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to his mom, who's very nice, but really seems less likely to get it. But she has her moments. Yes. His teacher's just, I wouldn't even say an autumn person, but he sees her that way. Mm -hmm. I have a bunch of collections that I've shown my kids and stuff. It's just... 
it, it broke my heart a little bit when you when you said if you're not familiar with Calvin and Hobbes, I almost wanted to say who's not familiar with Calvin and Hobbes, but I recognize that not everybody. When did it stop being in the newspapers? When did December. yeah last appearance was 1990? The same year, changing the Green Core book came out. Yeah. Actually, that's about. First it was December 31st, 1995, because I remember them printing the line in the newspaper that said it would stop on that day, and my whole family was bummed. Yeah. So it's like when I was in high school, a lot of my friends were still reading it. And oh, yeah. Including people who would not be playing Change on the Dreaming, but or yeah. any role playing game. But I, I would even hazard that its creator, Bill Watterson, is is changeling-ish in a way because one of his sort of things was that he very adamantly refused to kind of cave to the wishes of the publishers or the newspapers to kind of do a traditional four-panel structure or license merchandise or any of that. Oh, yeah. And he stopped when he felt he was done. He didn't drag it out and suck all the life out of it. And I really it's the anti-Garfield, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And I admire that a lot. Yeah. No, yeah. If in Changeling you had Bill Watterson being a Changeling, it makes total sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So do you, have some, do you have another one? Yeah, we kind of decided, we said 10 books for inspiration, but the hell with it, we're doing 13. So that just yeah, makes I, more sense. I have a few honorable mentions. Yeah. Brief I'll mentions. do two and then, well, I'll do one, yeah. you do one, I'll do one. And then. Yeah. Um, well, I have, I have, I've thought of three honestly, oh. since we've discussed we, it that we are, need to be mentioned. Like I briefly. think it's clear. I think it's clear that we are going to do another installment of this. So, so we did ten deep dives, and we'll do some honorable mentions. Yeah. I think that's fair. Well, the first is, and this is from again listener suggestions, is the collected fairy tales of the Brothers Grimm. Pretty obvious because they've informed so much of pop culture to the point that you you almost don't even need to have read them because. You know, a certain entertainment company based in Florida and or California, I guess, has made their entire line of movies based off of them. And there are many TV shows that and, and graphic novels again, or comic series that kind of spin off of them. So things like Cinderella and Snow White and Rumpelstiltskin, they're just kind of embedded in the, I guess you would say, the Western cultural yeah, folklore the mind. Based. But by yeah. saying that, you just now I have four. But uh, go on. Well, well, that's <laughs> yeah. so that's that's honorable yeah. mention one. So what's yeah. your honorable I, mention? I think. One? Well, I think we could throw in with that. There's a lot of other folklore, just books of folklore you can pull into, yeah. as well as things like Kranz Christian Andersen and all that stuff like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. But okay, the one I so Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass, especially that. Especially if you ignore the movie and go with the book interpretation <laughs> where, you know, she's actually in this other world and whatnot. I mean, that's something I'd imagine most people here have read, but even more so than the Calvin and Hobbes. That just seems, yeah, you'd have to be familiar, at least seeing the movies or something. But yeah, that's, a, that's another definite inspiration for Changeling, including some of the darker aspects. And the more madcap. Yeah, the, the, the dreaming depict that you go in the... I'd say it's like a far dreaming adventure. Mm. Although, so I don't know if you're familiar with the show QI. I'm a fan of it. Uh, but I remember one segment where they talk about how 
a possible interpretation of that book is as a deeply bitter satire of developments in British thinking about mathematics of the time. Yes. Which is a really interesting and really banal way <laughs> to kind of frame it. Well, but but Apple that thing- and Lovecraft from yeah. the same stuff. Yeah. Just like what? But cases maybe where people were more inspired by the books and kind of took them and ran with them than their authors may have originally intended. So I, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't think having read them that it's just a set like it might, i can see maybe it was inspired by for being this is weird but i don't think that was the point of these books i would argue maybe it but, started as a satire and then it changed and got hold of him and just yes. used him until it became something greater you know yes that could be it the last one that i want to honorably mention is midnight never come by marie brennan which is the first in a series called the onyx court series i've only read the first one so i don't know much about the others and this one this is kind of a cheat because Rather than being, I mean, it is an inspiration for Changeling games, but very specifically, it was also inspired by Changeling. And Marie mm-hmm. Brennan has talked about how it's essentially uh, an adaptation of the Changeling Chronicle that she ran and kind of one part of it evolved into this novel, which then evolved into a series. But it's set in Elizabethan England. So if you're looking to do a historical Changeling game, this is a good resource to kind of check out. And it's very, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I used to read it. I remember reading it on the train to work and just kind of sitting and being like, oh, I don't want to get off the subway. I want to keep reading. Mm. It's it's quite a bit. It's not exactly Changeling. Like she she takes the setting and makes it her own, but you can very clearly see the roots of it. Yeah. And I, I just had two more briefly mentioning. Do you want to throw to... titles to like foreshadow yeah. next time? Okay. <laughs> well, it's just, just two things that have to be on here is, is Peter Pan yep. and the Oz series. Yep. Like, don't need to say anything more. Just those are also on the list. That's they have to be. I can I can throw a few out there as well. I mean, I'm looking at my bookshelf as I sit here and thinking, oh yeah, that one. But but that's those are ones that I don't even think we need to. We just need yeah, to remind. Like, oh, of course. Remind yeah. our listeners to think about those stories. Right. When looking at change, they don't even. Right. Or like any book of Arthurian lore. Yes. Yeah. And um, we so. do have a listener question. Yes, from Zart. Yes, who's a friend of mine, actually, from years ago. Um, Huzzah! Though I never actually ran a Changeling game with him, or played in a Changeling game with him. It's never too late. Yes. I think he did play a werewolf when I played a Changeling in a crossover game, though. It's close enough. And he said, Do you suppose there is something intrinsic to reading in the medium of books that is especially well-suited to the kind of adventurous and imaginative spirit at the heart of Changeling? So... I kind of alluded to this in, you know, in that channel on the Discord, but in, you know, among the many hats that I wear, one of them is media studies lecturer for undergrads sometimes. Uh, and this is a topic that we have specifically touched upon. So I do have thoughts about this that I want to try and limit to like a brief soundbite. Because so, <laughs> otherwise, I mean, I could just pull out my lecture notes, but I don't think anyone wants to sit here all day for that. So. I have brief thoughts about it, but maybe we'll go for it. it. <laughs> okay. I disagree. Okay. I don't think it does. I think it's a great medium for changeling, but for a creative storytelling medium, I think any creative storytelling medium does is really great for changeling. I don't think I could pick out one that's actually better than the others. Maybe I could come up with something that's inappropriate, but there's so many others that also fit like 
there, we could do movie examples. We can do TV examples. We could do all sorts of, you're talking about the, you said the graphic novels count differently. I mean, like uh -huh. there's so many other things. There's storytelling in the oral tradition, right? Like there, uh -huh. there, there's so many other types of storytelling that also is great inspiration for Changeling. I, I, I wouldn't say, I think it's a different one, a unique one. Each of them are, but I don't think it's particularly Changeling appropriate. Hmm. I half agree with the suggestion, or I half suppose. And the reason I say that is, on the one hand, one of the things about books, physical books in particular, that distinguishes them from something like a film or a TV show is the level of control, for lack of a better term, that the reader has over their consumption of the medium. You know, you choose when to turn the page. You can go back and decide which part you want to reread or remind yourself of something. And by having that, it does kind of draw the reader in and engage them a little bit more, I would say. That being said, I don't think everyone has the same experience with a medium. Part of that is cultural, part of that is personal experience, and part of that is discourse surrounding the medium. So the way that we feel about books and the way that we feel we should engage with books informs how we actually do. And it's a it's a complex and subtle process. So I don't know I don't know that one can make a hard blanket statement like yes or no about it. Yeah. This is a very academic kind of answer. <laughs> like it's always yeah. the fuzzy boundaries. Well, well, well like my per subjective experience for I have a thick fiction book that I get engrossed into and I have a binging streaming media season coming out that I get into. They're very similar for me. So they're not for me necessarily. That's that's yeah. but that's that's a case in point that it's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. And both of those can engross me, but the way that I get engrossed in a book is much different than the way I get engrossed in television. And part of it again, another aspect of books that distinguishes them is you're the one who has to decide how the voices sound and often what the characters look like and what the places being described look like, you know, that process of visualization that's that takes a lot more active participation from Ooh. from the reader. Now, I don't know necessarily that that makes someone more adventurous or more imaginative and I don't think that the medium itself determines that because there are some boring ass fantasy novels out there and there are some wonderfully inventive cartoons out there and I would happily yeah. take the cartoon for Changeling over the the lengthy novel that's a chore to read but when focusing just on the form itself I think each one has advantages that it helps to be aware of for yourself as a consumer of media and that's what I would say yeah I wouldn't say it is all like yeah, when I said that it's more like the emotional subjective experience is similar for me or the mm -hmm. engrossed and lost and in time for hours as opposed mm -hmm. to, yeah, what it's actually doing is different, I agree. Yeah. And, but they're all good for Changeling. Like I'd say the best inspiration for Changeling is playing Let's Pretend in kindergarten or something. Like that. <laughs> that. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's there's all kinds of... If I had to give advice to somebody on what media to consume to inform their experience of changeling it would just be consume as wide a variety as possible and find what sticks best chances are yes. lots of things will stick well in different ways and that 
that depth gives you a lot of dynamics to work with, which I think is mm -hmm. very important for Changeling, maybe more so than, well, maybe not more than Mage, but equal to Mage. <laughs> the one thing I'd say with Changeling is more than Mage. If you were to contrast Changeling and Mage, it's the how engrossed are you? Like for Changeling, I would want you're swept away, especially if it's a surreal wild ride or contrasting between very mundane and very surreal or those kind of things, right? In mm -hmm. Mage maybe is more works better if you're inspiring it like something more heady mm. and intellectual. Like if we were to do this book for ten books for Mage, I would have several nonfiction titles on the book list. And, and putting that for Changeling just would seem bizarre to me. I mean, I'm happy to do a spinoff if, if Terry from Mage the Podcast yes, wants. You want it. Terry, if you're listening. Yeah, I, I do have several nonfiction books that are on my list. Inspiration for Mage, but... And fiction books. But. Well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, like novels too and stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my, that's my very brief media studies aspect response to that question. But it's a good question, and it's... I'm glad that people are asking it, because frankly, I think people don't you know, take enough chances on the media they consume anymore. We mm -hmm. live in an era where things are suggested for you or recommended for you or access can change on a moment's notice. And I really miss just sitting in a bookstore for hours discovering things. That was so helpful to me as a youth or sitting in the library and taking things home without knowing what they were going to be like. There's an ironic, maybe we're just two old people, Mrs. Grump talk now but it's not I, like those things have disappeared entirely you know they're no, still no, there but the difference is what we the difference is now and then i don't think it's just how old we are i think it's times have changed yeah of course. um is it's almost like the lack of boredom has made banality easier yeah there are more outlets for connection and distraction than there used yeah. to be yeah so. like if it was like my kids are not voracious readers and i'm going like well their personality just seemed left to mine and then i'm like oh they have the internet right that's why i sat down and read books there was nothing good on tv and i right. couldn't go play, hang with my friends what else do you do <laughs> like well to be fair to like tv and film there's also much better tv out there nowadays. oh yeah but <laughs> it's know, also so. accessible i could i could right, pop right. on how many things and watch it at any given right. time all it, of these books we talked about did not exist in television form when we were young, for the most part. Yes. So now there is stuff like that, and it's wonderful. So we can probably do a 10 TV shows episode as well. Yeah, so. but even then, it's, I couldn't necessarily just go watch, the t if, if we did a list of TV shows that existed before 1995 or something. Like It's not like I could just go and could have watched them then, even if they were all great inspirations right. for Changeling. If you missed them, that was it. Yep. Like Deep Space Nine. Yes. Circling back. The most changeling science fiction series ever, probably. Yes. Anyway. It even has changelings in it. It's true. <laughs> in any case. Anyway, we'll, we'll do our, our deep dive on, on Deep Space Nine will be a future episode. Yes. Well, necessarily it will be, so. Yes. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, this has been Changeling the Podcast. Uh, you can reach us at our website at changelingthepodcast.com. You can email us at podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. What's our Twitter handle again? At changelingcast. And our Discord is linked at the bottom of the show notes on each of the pages of the website. We also have a Facebook page if you want to check that out as well. You can also just uh, shout into the empty air and see if it gets our attention. You never know. 
Yes. We have we have had some actually nice people reaching out to us through various means recently, and I just wanted to say thank you to them. I'm not I didn't get the permission to name them, but uh yeah, thank you so much. Like this has been keeping at least my spirits up for the keeping this going. So Same. Yeah, please yeah. reach out. Please let us know, you know, what you think, if there's stuff you yeah. like. So uh, once again I've been Josh. I've been as always Puka. And make sure when you go on these uh, deep dreaming adventures through all this wonderful literary reading that you actually take the silver path back and don't fall to bedlam. And always remember where your towel is. There's another one! (laughs) Sorry. If you like our show and want to give us some more support so that we can continue bringing you Changeling Dreaming related content, please feel free to sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast where you'll receive patron-only content in exchange, such as a shout-out at the end of each episode. This week, we're shouting out our first two supporters, Sanchigar and Seja. Thank you! Here come the outtakes. I also have affection for this book because it's signed, so... I've, I'll admit, I've, I've cooled on Neil Gaiman over the years. I mean, Neil Gaiman was like my idol back in the mm. day. You know, just, I wanted to I wanted to be a writer like Neil Gaiman. It was him and Tolkien. Those were like the two. And Le Guin. Those were the three. (laughs) But I think over time, I'd like to think I've branched out a little bit, but I still get like the glamour hit when I pick up one of these. Cool of him does not mean you don't like him. It just means you have. No, no, I still adore his work. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. My my mom got a, I remember when I was like a early teenager, my mom went to a signing of his at a comic shop and uh she had made like a death doll oh (laughs) got him to sign or maybe it was a dream doll i can't remember anyway got him to sign that that was uh... i believe this signing is where i saw him he he read and amanda palmer performed and this was kind of briefly before they went public with their romance but leaving aside all of that stuff it was a wonderful experience it was also in Dublin and because we went on a family vacation and I had been at work reading live journal, I think, and saw he was talking about how his flight was delayed or something. And he was at the Philadelphia airport and I'm frantically texting my parents like, do you see a guy with like messy black hair and a black leather jacket and, you know, sunglasses maybe? And I was like, yeah, I think we might have. He kind of like he looked really grumpy and got on before everyone else. I was like, that was probably him. But then we met him at the bookstore, so it was fine. So he's also yeah, super nice when I see him. <laughs> like when I see him in person. Well, he, I mean, his flight time. had been delayed or whatever, so I'm yeah. sure it was a mood. But yeah. but I think I think him grumpy is still better than a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving on.